My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. And that's verses 171 to 176 of Psalm 119. So, today, here we are at Wednesday, March the 24th, and we're still in Jeremiah, John, and Romans. So, the, the um, immediacy of the word that Jeremiah is giving is, is heightened here, beginning in, in chapter 25, um, that the Lord will roar from on high. And his holy, from his holy habitation utter his voice. He will roar mightily against his fold and shout like those who tread grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. And so this word of woe and judgment is pronounced both against his fold, who are his people, Jerusalem, uh, the, the Israelites, and then also against all the inhabitants of the earth. And so God's judgment is going out in all the earth. And it's a, the clamor, he says, will resound to the ends of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against the nations. He's entering into judgment with all flesh and the wicked. He will put to the sword. It's, it's a terrifying thing to think about the one who created all things, the one who had the power to bring all things into being, the one who judged the world in the flood, the one who judged Sodom and Gomorrah, the one who has judged Israel on these occasions. The thought of his coming in judgment at all is a frightening, frightening thing. The thought of his coming in the final judgment from what we see in the book of the Revelation where he destroys his own good creation in order to try and get the attention of those who are creating his image and they still come up with alternative explanations for what's going on should terrify us all. It really should. We need to constantly be wary of that, losing sight of, of God's judgment of losing sight of righteousness at the same time as mercy. We, we can't have justice and without mercy, and we can't have mercy without judgment. There's no such thing as mercy without judgment. We wouldn't know what mercy was if there wasn't judgment because judgment means that's it. That's the end. Mercy is God doing something in order that we he not pass judgment. It's his desire to not destroy us is mercy we all deserve death that's paul's entire argument in romans there's no other argument to it and here god brings an indictment against his people but he's also bringing an indictment against the whole world his people are particularly responsible because they have the law they're particularly responsible because they're in covenant with him and for all that he has done for them and they know it it's not like there's some random stuff going on. And it just seems to always work out in your favor. No. God announces what he's doing for his people. He announced from the beginning what he would do for his people. And so for them at any level to fail to appreciate that and to fail to keep that covenant and to chase after other gods is just an abomination. And it's just as abominable when we do it, when we turn to superstition, when we turn to other things, when we turn to evil ways in order to get what it is we want. When we don't trust him and allow him to be God, 
when we find our own ways all the way, all the time of getting around things rather than waiting for things from him. All those things are things God judges, actually, because they show our own faithlessness in him. And then he says, finally, and those pierced by the Lord on that day shall extend from one end of the earth to the other. They shall not be lamented or gathered or buried. They shall be dung on the surface of the ground. It's horrible to think of, but, but it takes an enormous amount for that anger of the Lord to be roused. But we see it here. And it's all coming to an end, and he's pronouncing this whole thing. And then he tells the shepherds and the lords of the flock to cry out in anguish over what's happening. And he says, a voice, the cry of the shepherds and the wail of the lords of the flock. For the Lord is laying waste their pasture, and the peaceful foals are devastated because of the fierce anger of the Lord. Like a lion, he has left his lair, for their land has become a waste because of the sword of the oppressor and because of his fierce anger. Judgment's real. And you know that it begins at the house of God, right? I mean, what he wants is a people who will display his glory to the world, who will proclaim it in word and deed to the entire world. We, our purpose is to show the world who he is. We are to bear his image to a world that desperately needs to see that image. And so it's not all happy clappy because it's both and we need to pronounce truth and proclaim truth even when it's an unpopular truth but we also need to show love and mercy and grace we need to be shepherds of the flock we need to be those who who see those in trouble and go after them and bring them into the fold it's both at the same time and jesus speaks about that in that passage from john's gospel today which is john 10 1 to 18 and he he tells the parable of the shepherd. And he says, I, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who comes in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they won't follow, but they'll flee from him, for they don't know the voice of strangers. And that story is a perfect picture of what happens and happened particularly then with shepherd communities. Because what they would do is they would have places where they would the communal flocks would come. And so you maybe have three or four shepherds, and they would come to a place that had been built, a little enclosure, the sheepfold. And that enclosure was to keep the sheep safe at night. And so they would all, the flocks would be, the various flocks would be gathered into the sheepfold at night. And one person served as the gatekeeper of the sheepfold. And so you would speak to that one. You were well known to that gatekeeper if you were one of the shepherds whose flocks was there. And you, the she, that gatekeeper would open the door for you. You were perceived as a, a compatriot and an ally. If you wanted to do something wrong, if you wanted to harm the flock, then you came in a different way other than through that sheepfold. And the, the incredible thing is, is that this metaphor is also particularly perfectly apt because the reality is, is that sheep do know the voice of their shepherd. They won't follow other shepherds. They'll hear their shepherd's voice and they'll only follow him out of the sheepfold. So each in turn would go out and call his flock 
out of the sheepfold to him, and then they would go and they would graze the rest of the day, and he would find them grazing land and water and, and keep them safe from predators and all that. But the point of the sheepfold was to keep the flock safe from predators in the night because most of the predators uh, acted that way at night. And so it's important that you keep them safe, and the sheep would sleep in the sheepfold because they knew they were protected and they were safe. Their shepherd was there, and they felt themselves in the enclosure, and they knew huddled together there was safety. And so it says that he used that, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. <laughs> they didn't get the application for it. I preached that sermon before <laughs> where it seemed like nobody got the application at all. made sense to me. So Jesus changes it up a little bit, and he says, I'm the door of the sheep. I'm the one who allows for the going in and the coming out. I'm the protector of the sheep, ultimately. And then he says, all those who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and go in and out and find pasture. And then he speaks about the thieves who didn't care anything for the sheep. They were just hirelings. And they would come and they would care for the sheep. But as soon as any sort of danger presented itself, they fled and left the sheep to fend for themselves. And God has, you know, in Jeremiah and Ezekiel and uh, Zechariah, he compares the leaders of Israel to the shepherds. Because they're to watch over the flock and provide for the needs of the flock. They're to, to continually keep their eye on the flock and make sure that the needs are provided for. Make sure they're safe. Make sure if there's one that's sick that he's tending to that one. If it's lame, if it's injured, if it's whatever, they have a job to do. It's a pastoral job. And it's a necessary job and it's an important job. And in some ways, we've really gotten away from that in the church, from that whole idea of the model of a pastor shepherd um, because we've gotten into a business sort of a model and, and it, it we we've got you know I, I heard a, a teaching that used to just drive me insane about being a rancher because you're not going to be Johnny on the spot every time people want you to be there and that you you know you teach them to care for themselves and there's a truth in that people do need to grow up in their faith they need to grow up in their walk with Christ and take responsibility but they also need a shepherd and I believe that that we are at least some of us are called to be shepherds. And it's important to take that role on in the way that he would have you do it, in the way that he describes in this. And he says here, though, I'm the good shepherd. So he is ultimately the one under whom all the others operate. And when he says, I'm the good shepherd, that, that's a reference directly straight up to Psalm 23. And only God fits that role. And he goes on to say here, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I heard that preached one time as that other religions, that's not at all what it means. It's clearly not what it means. You can't possibly realistically interpret it that way because that sentence doesn't stand on its own. It says this, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Do I have to explain why I can say that that interpretation is straight up dead wrong? It's impossible that you can interpret it in such a way that other religions come in. There's one flock and one shepherd, and it's Jesus. I must bring them, and they will listen to my voice. And then he's the most important figure in all of history. 
for that reason. He says, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. It's not suicide, and it's not murder. He had authority to lay down his life. God didn't send him down here on a suicide mission, and God didn't kill him. Jesus had authority to lay down his life. And the remarkable thing is, he had authority to take it up again. No one else in history can make that claim, and nobody makes that claim about anyone else in history. And that's why Paul is so at pains here to say, how can they who call on him, call on him in whom they've not believed, and how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? So he says that that we need to be preaching the gospel. It's the most important thing that we can do is bring the word of God to other people in order that they can come to faith, in order that they can believe. They first have to hear. And then he's in pain here. And this is in Romans 10, 14 to 21. He says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. So we've got to know these things. He says, but I ask, have they not heard? He's speaking to the Jews here. Indeed, they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. He's speaking to the Jews, but he's also speaking to everyone else in the world. But, But he's specifically speaking to the Jews. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I'll make you jealous of those who are not a nation with a foolish nation. I'll make you angry. And then Isaiah is as bold to say, I've been found by those who didn't seek me. I've shown myself to those who didn't ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. That reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. And that is, you've got one who has gone astray and and gone out and lived a decadent lifestyle and all that kind of stuff. But when he gets to the end of his rope and he gets to the end of his inheritance, he knows the character of the father and he chooses to go back to the father's house because he knows that it's even better to be treated like a slave in his father's house than it is to work for anybody else. And so he goes back and the father extraordinary and extravagantly blesses him and restores him into the household while the older brother is there And he's cross about the whole thing. You never gave me anything that we could have a big party and all this kind of stuff. He sees himself as a servant under this master that the younger son seems to understand is a loving father. It's not about works. It's not about the things you do and how hard you work and whatever you do for me. No. I love you like a son because you're my son. Everything begins and ends right there. And sometimes we can get it in our heads the wrong way. And we can work for reward rather than work from being loved and out of love. That's the thing we most have to get right. We have to get right that we serve the good shepherd, the one who lays down his life for the sheep, who has, in fact, laid down his life for the sheep. And not only did he have the authority to lay it down and to take it up, he did.